Okay. So last week, last week we began a, a brief series that we're going to be doing in, in Zechariah. We looked at last week was what the Lord Almighty says. And that in speaking, Zechariah, in speaking to a struggling people, Zechariah speaking to a people that were searching for significance, that were, were overwhelmed by their circumstances, where, that were just, they were even just tempted to quit that the Lord Almighty said through Zechariah. What was the one word that we looked at last week? It was, well, to one person, really. <laughs> one person. It was return. return. Thank you for the enthusiasm there, Kerry. I really appreciate it. It was return. But specifically, it was return to me. Return to the Lord. Return to him. And I, I, sorry, a bit of a caveat before I carry on. If I start speaking too fast... Can you please just, Auntie Sue, I'm going to entrust this to you, my sister, because I know that you have no problem slapping me. Um, If I start speaking too fast, could you please just wave your hand and say, slow down? Well, don't don't yell slow down, just what, yeah, thank thank you very much. Okay, but in Zechariah chapter 1 verse 3, there was this wonderful, encouraging word from the Lord to the people, return to me, says the Lord Almighty. Return to me. And it is in these words of promise that the children of Israel and for, for, for me, that is a word of, of comfort. It is comfort to the weary spirit. It's assurance that we are not forsaken and that we are not forgotten. And so this morning, we're going to move into Zechariah chapter 2. And in these 13 verses, there are three declarations that the Lord makes that I pray will have an impact on each of us, regardless of how we're feeling, regardless if we're walking close, regardless if we're feeling distant, regardless if we're feeling dry and and, and apathetic or, or excited in our relationship with the Lord, that we would take heed to these declarations that the Lord makes. Now, a declaration, according to dictionary.com, is defined as a positive, explicit, or formal statement. It is a proclamation. Um, It means the act of declaring or the, the act of announcing something. So for people like Israel who were in the state of apathy, these are declarations to encourage the soul. They are to stir up the spirit. They are to excite the heart. For in these declarations... What God does as he makes such declarations is answer this question that I think each of us need to do. Each of us need to ask, even when we open our Bibles, even when we bow in prayer, even when we we seek the Lord, we need to be asking this question, who are you, Lord? Not what I think, not what the world says, not what my neighbors say, not even what the pastor says. Who are you, Lord? Reveal yourself to me. Because it's more important that you get for yourself how he reveals himself to you, not what I portray to you, but how he reveals himself to you and that we would be open to that revelation. Now, before I open in a word of prayer, I want to put things in a little bit of context for you, okay? Okay. 
In Revelation, in Zechariah chapter 1, verses 7 to 20, there are two visions that Zechariah receives. And these visions are like about a man standing among myrtle trees in verses 7 to 10. There's this man standing there. There's a red horse, a brown horse, and a white horse that this man sends throughout the world. And then these horses sort of return back to the man and give a report of what they see. And and what they see at this particular stage is a world at peace and a world at rest. That's in verse 11 of chapter 1. Now, this state of peace and rest comes at the expense of the captivity that Israel is in. Remember, they've been in Babylon now for 70 years. And the question that is asked is, why is there so much peace and rest while your people, Lord, are captive, while your people are enslaved? And, and, and so what happens is this revelation or this vision that Zechariah receives you find out that the captors, so the people like Babylon or Assyria, whoever is ruling over them, is taking the punishment too far. And God promises to restore Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple, and then to stretch out a measuring line out over all Jerusalem. That's in verses 12 to 17. That's a brief summary of what happens in the end of Zechariah chapter 1. Then we come into Zechariah chapter 2. 13 verses in this chapter. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to read through it as we work our way through. Okay, so let me open a word of prayer. Hola. Let me open a word of prayer, and then let's look at the word together. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the invitation that you have given us in your son to return. To return to you to find our forgiveness, to find our acceptance, to find our salvation, to find our hope in the wonderful person of Jesus Christ. And now this morning, as we look at the scriptures, I pray that you will meet us, that you will speak to our hearts, that you will challenge our very beings, that you will stir us up with an excitement and a love for you. Father, only you can do this. And so we pray that by your spirit, you will fall upon us speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you open up your Bibles at Zechariah chapter 2, I'm going to start off by reading the first two verses. We read this. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. We'll stop there. You might be thinking, what does that mean? Let's have a look. This is what I call the greatness of God's blessing. The greatness of God's blessing. Let me explain. The necessity of Jerusalem being measured, remember he says he's going to measure how wide and how long Jerusalem is. The necessity of Jerusalem being measured is what's called the symbolism. The symbolism to describe the greatness of God's blessing that is to be expected by the people of Israel, especially for the the coming kingdom. See, John writes of a similar thing taking place in Revelation chapter 21, verse 15. I'll just read it to you. It says, The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city. Now, 
when we think of blessing, we always think of term in, in terms of what we can physically hold, what we physically possess. We, we, we think of blessing like we do success. For example, we might, we might say a job promotion. Ah, oh, that's, that's God's blessing. We might look at money in the bank. Oh, yeah, that, that's God's blessing. We, we might, might look at followers on Twitter or likes on Facebook. Oh, that, that's, that's God's blessing. It might be the car we drive. Oh, that's, that's God's blessing. We, we measure blessing like we do success by what is physically measurable. That's what we do. Things that are in and of themselves, not necessarily bad things, but they cannot be a, an, accurate, an accurate measurement of or evidence of God's blessing. Just because you have a big house doesn't necessarily mean you have God's blessing on you. Just because you have a lot of money in the bank doesn't actually mean that you would have God's blessing on you. Because when you look at it, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we are told that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. So when we think of blessing, then what do we do with, say, the fruit of the Spirit? When we have love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, what do we do with that then? What do we do with my life has been more sanctified to the Lord where I desire to live holy for him? Isn't that success? Isn't that blessing? In the midst of hardship that you're going through and struggles that you encounter and you know the peace of God in your life, is not that success? Is not that blessing? When you grow in your patience with how you raise your children and raise them up in a godly manner, is that not success? When you look at somebody and you lead them to the Lord so that they know God's forgiveness in their life, is not that blessing? Uh, see, we, we need to get out of our, our idea that our blessings are measured by what we achieve or what we receive physically. Because I know people that have nothing physically and have everything spiritually and know the peace of God and the love of God and the joy of God. And it's not gauged by what they possess, but by who they know. Is that not blessing? Is that not success? Because we read in verses three and four, follow along with me. While the angel who was speaking to me, oh, I'm reading the wrong one. Yeah, I'm reading the right one, sorry. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. Don't join, join me in this. Get this. If you're to measure the walls of the city, how long and how wide it is, because it's there as an indication of what God's blessing will be, the blessing to expect, what does it mean then when there are no walls? Why is there a fact that he makes a point saying there's not going to be any walls? In order to, if, we, if we gauge by having walls or how big the walls are, what happens when those walls are torn down, when the walls are not present? Because the blessing of God cannot be measured. 
the blessing of God cannot be contained, nor can the blessing of God be limited because it is immeasurable. It is uncontainable. It is inexhaustible. The blessing of God is this, as we read in verse 5, is God himself. Look at verse 5. He says this, I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. This is the Lord's declaration for his people. This is the Lord's declaration for you and I today. The declaration is this, that God is our be-all and end-all that in him, he is our all in all. Just as he will be their wall of protection, just as he will be their wall of security, just as he will be their wall of comfort, he is all-encompassing with his very being, with his very person. It doesn't have walls because he is their walls. He who is from everlasting to everlasting, he who is from eternity past to eternity future will always be, has always been God. And he says, I will be your protection. I will be your blessing. I will be the everlasting, purifying wall of love within whom all who dwell can abide. He wants them to grasp that because does that not, at least it does to me, excite one's soul, excite one's heart to know that he is my all and all. He is my source of purpose. He is my source of hope. It is in him and in him alone. And when you think of walls, you think protection. You think comfort. You think security. Psalm 32 verse 7 says this. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. You, not a what, you, not a thing, you. Psalm 69 verse 29 says this, As for me, afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. May your salvation, God, protect me. Truth reiterated. These truths of whatever the situation is, protection is from God. That songs of deliverance come from him. He is our hiding place. He is our protection. It's what surrounds me even now. Jesus said this in John 15, verses 3 to 7, verses that we are all familiar with. But what I want you to do is turn there in the NIV I'm reading from. And I've, I've just cut out some, I'm going to read through it, but I've just sort of edited just to get the same flow. But if you want to get the whole passage, read the whole passage. 
Starting at verse 3. Now, in the New King James and the Old King James, the word remain is translated as abide. What it means to abide is to make one's dwelling in. That's what abide means. There's a wonderful old hymn, which a lot of the aunties and uncles are going, abide with me. Fast falls even tide, the darkness. I won't sing. Anyway, okay. Already started. But that's what it says in verse 3 to verse 7. Remain or abide in me as I also remain in you. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Verse 6. If you do not remain in me, You are like a branch that is thrown away. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You'll notice something here. As we looked at in the verses in Psalms, as we read just now, that the key to spiritual blessing, the the key to spiritual success are measured not in terms of things that are had, but in the relationship one has to Jesus. That's what determines how successful, how blessed you are in your walk with the Lord. How well you know him, even better, how well he knows you. How well you can recognize his voice when he speaks. How well you can see his hand work in in a a difficult time. How well that you you, you understand his ways and his very heart. Knowing that he is, sorry, knowing that his love is all-encompassing. Knowing that he is just in every way that he does. Knowing that his grace is sufficient. That his forgiveness is far-reaching. His judgment is righteous. And that his person is good. That is who I am called to return to. When I ask you to think about that question, who are you, Lord? And he says to you, return to me. Do you know who you're returning to? Do you know what he is like? Do you recognize the relationship he desires to have with you? See, Zechariah in this vision is showing the people, well, it's telling the people, that their protection, that their boundaries, that their shelter was never to be found in a structure or in a position of land, even though it's talking about Jerusalem, but rather it is in the very person of God himself. Thus the question, thus the question that we need to consider, that the greatness of God's blessing for you and I is to be measured by this, this question, how well do I know him? How well do I know him? How well does does he know me? And and that's something that only you can answer in in, in your life and in the situation, the context that you're in. I can't answer that for you. Only only where God is is the journey that God's taking you on and journeying with you. Because, Because honestly, because honestly, when you look at the captives in Babylon, remember uh, when, when the king of Persia let the Jews go, a majority of them stayed behind. 
and you had only some people that went. Think about this. You've been in prison. You've been in, in captivity. You've been enslaved for 70 years, and you're told you are now free to go back to your homeland. Wouldn't you want to go back? Wouldn't you? But a majority of the people of Israel stayed behind. They sort of had a look and thought, well, look, Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is knocked down. Oh, it's going to be some hard work. It's either stay here in captivity or go back and do the hard yards back in Jerusalem. Oh, nah, I'm good. I'll stay here. I'll stay here. It'll be all right. What's interesting is these people, these people sort of show a good description of what a lot of us, what a lot of us as Christians can do. We can look and we can weigh, weigh things up. And we can think, wow, I could, I could seek to live a life honoring God and, and a life of holiness and, and of righteousness and, and in accordance with God's values. Or I could be content just going through the motions as a Christian. I'll go to my church. I'll go to my prayer meeting monthly. I'll give my money. Yeah, but my life doesn't really need to change. You know, I could do the whole Sunday Christian thing. Nah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And, and we become content in just existing as believer, content to go through the motions, content to exist, content to live in apathy. But, but, as we learned last week regarding the call God gives to his people, it's the same call that God gives to you and I today. And that is to return to him. Return to him. And he's declaring this to the people that chose to remain in captive. He's doing this, and he, and, he, and he reiterates this invitation to those that are content and just staying back in captivity. And, and look, I'm not, I'm not sort of making fun of anybody. I'm not picking on anybody. If I'm looking at you when I'm saying this, I'm not meaning you, okay? I just, it just I happen to catch your eye. That's all that is, okay? So please, if, if you are feeling bad when I look at you and you say this, then maybe the spirit, no, anyway. Okay, but that, that, that's all I'm saying, okay? is that he reveals himself and he gives himself, because even as Christians, you might be like this. You might be content in just existence. You might be content in just going through the motions. You might be content in just sitting there and doing your Sunday thing. That's okay. It's okay. But see, I'm not the one that you have to give an account to. It's not me. It's not me. You don't have to do nothing because I'm saying it. But I know what God says. And God's reaching out to you at this time. And so in verse 6 of chapter 2, he says this. Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. He's saying, come. Here's a declaration that God says and says, I don't want you to be content with the meager helpings of your own existence. I don't want you to make yourself happy or comfortable in a safe. It's, it's like... Okay, if you've ever come to my house to eat my wife's food, my wife, amazing, just in regards what she cooks, how she cooks, it's just brilliant. I've learned how to cook lately. I'm nowhere near my wife's level. And I guarantee you this, that if you came to our house for a meal and I cooked you a meal, you'd be like, yeah, it's all right. It's all right. It's not bad. It's not bad. And then you have the option to have my wife's. When you go to my wife's meal, you'll be like, oh, oh dude, that's amazing. 
It's amazing. Now, I won't be, you know, but now, if, if, honestly, if you came to my house and you had the choice between eating my wife's food and my food, and you chose my food, I would be like, dude, there is something wrong with you. Really. Really. It's a, it's a terrible example, but this is essentially what God is saying to the people here. He's saying, I have got an abundance of life, an abundance of blessing, an abundance of freedom, an abundance of hope. I have here. I will be your protection. I will be your security. I will be your be all and end all. I will be your all in all. That's what he's saying. And the people in Babylon are saying, no, I'm good. Now, the reason why, if you have a look on a map, you'll notice that Babylon is to the east of Israel. But the reason why they're called the people of the north is because they came around and then came down from the north to attack Israel. And, and while the Lord admits, and while the Lord admits that he is the one that scattered them, that he is the one that put them into captivity, you have to understand that the reason why they're in captivity is because of their disobedience in the first place. See, this is what we do as Christians. This is what we do as people, and I'm being guilty of this in the past as a Christian, where I have made terrible decisions, where I have dwelt and dabbled in sin, and I have decided to remain in that state. God offers me forgiveness, and because of my own self-guilt, because of my own self-centeredness, because of my own selfishness, I have been content just to stay in my sinfulness and say to the Lord, nah, I'm good. God and his grace doesn't leave me there, though. We learned about this last week. Because when we return to him, what does he do? Zechariah 1.3, he returns to us. And so he, he knows what's best for me. He reaches out. And he reaches out. You read in Hebrews 12, and you read about the discipline, that the Lord disciplines those that he loves. Because he loves you, he disciplines you. Because he loves you, he calls out to you. Because he loves you, he drags, not drags, but he reaches out to you to bring you back to himself. Because he knows, he knows. Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made, as Brad shared this morning, because you are made in his image and that you're made with love and purpose and intent, and he's reaching out, he knows that you will only find your true hope, security, contentment in life in him, in him as your wall of fire. It's a love that invites. It's a love that cherishes. It's a love that favors. Look at verses 7 to 9 with me. It says this. He says, come Zion, escape you who live in daughter Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says, after the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. For whoever touches you touches the one that I favor. Whoever touches you touches the one that I cherish. Whoever touches you Touches the one that I love. And he goes, I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. The apple of his eye. What an amazing declaration, which is what I call the greatness of God's favor. 
the great, not only do we experience the greatness of God's blessing of him being a wall of fire, a wall of protection, but the greatness of his favor, that we are the apple of his eye. And that he reaches out. He's the one that says, come. This is Matthew 14, 29, when he says to Peter, when Peter's in the big the boat, the storms are going around, the, the, the disciples are in the boat, and, and Peter looks, and what does he say? He says, Lord, if that's you, let me come out to you. What does Jesus say? One word, come. That's it. Come. Peter cries out. Jesus responds. Peter sinks. Jesus responds. It's amazing. And this is, this is Mark 6.31. When Jesus gets away with his disciples, right before he feeds the 5,000. But in Mark 6.31, we read this. When Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. The invitation the Lord gives, regardless the, the busyness of the lives that the disciples are going through, he says, come with me, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. This is John 7, 27, 7.37, when Jesus says to the woman, oh, sorry, when Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. The greatness of God's favor, a declaration that not only is he my be all and end all, but he, he, that he has invited me and sanctified me to be the apple of his eye, favored, cherished, nurtured as his child. And that his people are not only seen this way, but also to understand that he is more than sufficient that he favors us who are so unworthy, but how such a favor and such a sufficiency is expressed toward us. Read in verse 10. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I shall live among you, declares the Lord. Look at this third declaration, that he is a God who is near at hand, that has made his dwelling amongst his people. That he, whether in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, as they wandered for 40 years, whether a city in, in Jerusalem, and the temple has been made, whether he wherever he chose to put his name, or even within us as his church, he has chosen to be among us to dwell with us, to live alongside of us. Revelation chapter 21 verse 3 is a great verse. Look, John writes, God's dwelling place is now among the people. God's dwelling place is among you. It's in you. And we carry on reading, and he will dwell with them. One of my favorite passages here, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This 
it was an amazing declaration because, because, because look, as, as you look at the closing out of this chapter, we read this blessed word, verses 11 to 13, okay? It says, many nations, many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. This is what I call the greatness of God's presence. We have the greatness of God's blessing. We have the greatness of God's favor. We have the greatness of God's presence. Now, what then does the greatness of God's blessing, favor, and presence mean for the mother who is continually weary from being a mum, who's constantly on her feet doing one, two, three, four, whatever it is, day after day, week after week, month after month, that doesn't seem to have any time to herself, let alone having time with the Lord. What does that mean? What does God's blessing, favor, and presence mean for her? What about, what about the father or, or the husband who's busy at work, having to, to, to battle not only traffic and, and people at work, but just day after day, week after week, as they provide a living and, and, and working in a world that is so antithetical. That's my new word. Pretty cool, eh? Okay, antithetical to the whole existence of, of what you stand for as a Christian. What does God's blessing, favor, and presence mean for, the, for that? Or for the young professional? Okay, or, or for, the, for, for the next door neighbor, or for whoever it might be. What does God's, God's blessing, favor, and presence mean for the child, for the school student that's bombarded with the pressures of trying to fit in at school and, and hold to the godly values that Jesus calls them to? What, what does God's blessing, favor, and presence mean for us as a church family that wants to please the Lord, that wants to be a good testimony, that, that wants to show the love that he shows to us toward one another, to be a people of compassion and acceptance and of understanding, especially when we don't feel loving or compassionate or accepting? What does that mean? Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but over the past several weeks, there's been a, a somewhat of a theme in the sermons that I've been sharing. And what's been my, my buzzword? What's my buzzword for 2022? Connection. And, and you'll notice that in, in, in the last several, well, actually last two months, we've been looking at this whole idea of, of, of being in connection, being relational in our walk with Jesus Christ. Not only as, as a church, but specifically as individuals. I don't know if you've noticed that. You might be bored by it. If you are, I'm sorry. But I've wanted, to, I've wanted to draw away, get away from me prescribing a solution to every little problem you have. I wanted to get away from me giving you a 12-step program to help you live a successful life as a Christian. I want to get away from you because guys are like this. Guys are like this, and you'll know this when you talk with your wives, or your wives, when you talk with your husband, you'll say, oh, it's so hard at work, because the guy did this, and the lady did that, and the guy is usually just like, then why don't you do this? Why don't you just say no? Why don't you just move? Why don't you walk away? 
And, and sometimes your wife will sit there after this has happened. Because, you know, I didn't actually want a solution. I didn't want an answer. I just wanted someone to listen. All these husbands are like, okay, but I didn't want to do that as a Christian. I don't want to do that as a pastor because that's not my job. My job as a pastor is not to sit there and give you every little answer to every little problem you have. No. You know why? Because I can't do that. I'm completely ill-equipped to do that. There are so many different people here in so many different contexts with so many different problems. I don't have an answer for every single one of you. I could answer one question of Jono. Michael Jordan is better than LeBron James. That's it. Okay? That's it. Case closed. <laughs> See, I can do that because I'm at the front. So I apologize there, there Jono. Now he's going to come up and we're going to have a big discussion. I've got to go straight after this, bro. So, yeah, but all, all humor aside, all humor aside, I can't do that. But I can direct you to the person who does know the answer. I can equip you with the tools necessary for you to encourage your connection with the Lord. I can give you a, a few spiritual truths that direct you to him so that you would be able to recognize the hand of God in your life so that you can hear the voice of God when you don't hear anything else so that you can see what he is doing even though nobody else around can see. That's, that's what I can do. I can encourage you in your connection with him. And I'm praying that regardless of what it is that you're going through, regardless of the apathy that you feel, the dry spell that you're going through in your spiritual life, the, the hardship or the overwhelmed pressures that you might be experiencing, that you would go to Jesus, that you would return to him and that you would cry out and that you would ask him to show you where you need to submit your life the areas in your life that have become overwhelmed, what you need to release into his hands and that he would give you the courage and you the means by being able to step away from anything I have to say or anything that anyone else has to say and go to him. Now, please, that, oh, please don't, as we do this as people, if you're a married couple, if you're a married couple, look, you're one flesh. You are one flesh before God. And your, your God has blessed you with a spouse that you can both seek him together in the issues that you're going through. And that as a couple, especially if you're parents, that you as a couple can then create an atmosphere within your home that allows your children to see God in you and that they can come to you so you in turn can then direct them to God. That's, that's what it is. And that's what... These declarations, these declarations of blessing and, and of favor and of presence, these declarations are to enable us and to encourage us as, our, as Christians individually to come before him and allow him to minister to our hearts and then in turn us respond to him. That's why I've been looking at this whole idea that, that we will understand the, the greatness of his blessing in himself, that we will understand that he is the apex of all blessing, and that knowing him and being known by, being known by him is the greatest of all honors, that he knows your name, that he knows every single hair on your head, 
Then he knows the hardships and the pain and the suffering and the disappointment and the discouragement that you feel every moment of every day. And he says, I love you. That's why my son died for you, so that I could be with you in this moment. That you would understand the greatness of his favor in Christ. That you'll know that when he looks at you, you are the apple of his eye. That you are cherished. That you are sanctified. That you are set apart for him. You know what that means? It's like, okay, I've been married nearly 30 years. And, and I've, I've come to discover, even in this 30 years, just how amazing my wife is. She was amazing when I married her 30 years ago. And as every year has gone by, I've come to appreciate more how amazing that she is. And she is, you know what, you know what she is? She has been set apart. She is sanctified to me. And I am sanctified to her. And in that sanctification, I experienced the greatness of her love, the greatness of her being and her personality and, and, and all the gifts and strengths that she has, I get to be a participant of. You are favored by God, set apart for him, cherished and to a greater degree. To think that God sees my wife and cherishes her exponentially greater than what I ever could. And his care for her is greater than I will ever have. That's what we've been given. And that's, that's how he sees us. If we would understand that and, and that we would experience the greatness of his presence. A presence that we're given access to through Jesus. The greatness of his presence that was so great, so great that he sent his son. When you and I were separated from him by this wall of sin, he sent his son to die on a cross to knock that wall down so that we could enjoy the very presence of God and be called by him, my child. A love so great, a love, a forgiveness so undeserved, a grace. Oh, so beneficial to us. That's why I don't want to stand up here and tell you what to do. What I want to do is I want to share with you. Okay, right? I don't want to tell you what to do, but I will tell you this. Jesus invites you to himself. And, and, and if we don't get this connection right, then, then what we'll do is we will find cheap substitutes that would pale in comparison if we don't get this right then we'll, we'll 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 substitute it for activity oh i'm such a godly man i'm such a great preacher yes we'll substitute it with that we'll substitute it for the praises of man we'll substitute it for how much money we give we'll substitute it by our our, our, our christian activity we'll substitute with that but that will always always leave us unfulfilled that will always fall short of the greatness that he wants to impart to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, I pray that you and I will get to not only see and understand the greatness of his blessing, not only, not only understand the greatness of his favor and experience the greatness of, of his presence, I, I pray that your connection with the Lord will be, will be stirred up, will be stirred up, 
and that you will not be content with just going through the motions. You won't be content with just substitutions, but that you will find it in him and in him alone. Yeah. If you want to just close your eyes, and I'm going to close a word of prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and for the greatness of his salvation. Thank you how you have taken us from darkness and brought us into your marvelous light. Thank you that in his love and in his goodness, you have bestowed upon us this privilege through faith in him, the honor of being called your son and your daughter. I pray that you will help each one of us here today to see with clarity just the sheer greatness of who you are, the greatness of your blessing, that you are our wall of protection. You are the wall that surrounds us. You are the, the glory that dwells within. Help us to recognize your blessing. And that blessing is you and you alone, the greatest of all blessings, to not only know you, but to be known by you. I thank you for the, the position of being favored by you, Lord. That as the apple of your eye, Lord, you have given us so much. You have entrusted us not only with your word, but your spirit who indwells with the brothers and sisters that are around us, with our families, with our jobs, with our possessions that you have bestowed upon us. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to recognize your favor. But the greatest of all things, Lord, is to be known and to, to know you. And lastly, Lord, to recognize your presence. Thank you that you have a peace that really does transcend all understanding. Thank you that you have given us a hope and a, and a belonging, a family to belong to, a body to be a part of. Father, thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us. So, Father, as we go from here today, I pray that we will soon, that we will not soon forget the truths you have revealed to us. And I pray you'll stir our hearts to walk in accordance with your heart and with your will and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.